She's passionate about telling stories of amazing women who are rocking the world and empowering women to live, love, and thrive. Here's your host, Katherine Gray. Hi, welcome to Live, Love, Thrive. This is our 150th episode. Can you believe it? Yeah, it's exciting. This is very exciting. Uh, and so I have a very exciting guest today uh, on Live, Love, Thrive, which is, of course, brought to you by 360karma.com. We appreciate you watching today. And today I have on a very special guest, Michelle Jewsberry, who is not only a speaker and author, but the founder of Unsilenced Voices. Please give a warm welcome to Michelle. Thank Hi, you. how are you? I'm great. How are you? Thank you for having me. Awesome. Yeah, well, I'm so happy to have you because your life is so incredibly amazing, and I appreciate you coming on and sharing it with us. And, you know, um, it's really a topic, uh, this uh, domestic uh, violence and um, sexual abuse and things that are so prevalent in our society that I'm so happy that you are developing a program um, for women all over the world. Yeah. And, you know, doing international work to help change the world for the better. And really, that's what this program is about. It's about women who are doing amazing work in the world. Well, great. Thank yeah. you. And so uh, let's talk first about where this all started. So you were actually, and I don't think I've had anybody yet, you were born in Idaho. Yes, I was born in Idaho. <laughs> yeah, I, and I don't even think, I think you might be the first guest I've had that was born there. And uh, does that, Idaho, does that mean that you come from a Mormon family? Or? No, 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 that's Utah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh, but yeah. I thought they were, it was Idaho, and then didn't you move to Utah? No, 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 no. Oh, uh, okay. oh Salt Lake City, briefly. Yeah, yeah, You're right. I, so. I was yeah. only there oh, for see, like I know four better months. than you. Yeah, you do, but four months. It was a very <laughs> right. short period right, right but yeah Idaho it's a lot of meat and potatoes yeah um, so I was born in Sandpoint and then ended up moving away and moving back and then moving away now you were back. telling me Sandpoint uh, Oprah said was like the happiest place on earth yeah I don't like I never heard year, that but yeah, yeah she ended up saying that in some news article because it's it's all over newspapers in Sandpoint so if you go into restaurants and whatnot then yeah they, they have that article Oprah said this is the happiest place on earth Sandpoint oh. Gosh, yeah. she probably had had a martini or something. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm sure it's beautiful. It is very beautiful, uh, yeah. actually. Superb. Yeah. And uh, you have Mount Schweitzer there, so uh -huh. it's it's like a little gem. And then yeah. also Lake Ponderé. So oh, during the summer, nice. it's one of the largest lakes in the United States. Really? Oh, yeah. And one of the deepest. They wow. used to do submarine testing there. I think I, don't I know want to go see do. it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's beautiful. It really is beautiful. So you, you, you grew up there, but uh, you left like at seven. Right. So I left at seven yeah. and I was uh, taken away from my mom and dad and I ended up moving to Salt Lake City with my grandma and grandpa for uh -huh. about four months. Now, wait, why was that? So can you share that? Yes, I okay. can share that. So my father joined the U.S. Army mm -hmm. and then my mom got in trouble um, with the law. Somebody, one of her friends had framed her for something she didn't do. Oh so gosh. she had to actually go and serve time in jail. Oh my And my gosh. dad was in boot wow. camp. Yeah, wow. exactly. So then my brother and I were taken from the house and shipped to my grandma and grandpa's house so the state wouldn't take us. Oh my and we God. were with my grandma and grandpa he, for four months. You were seven and he was eight? My brother eight. was five. Five? Oh, yeah. wow. That had to be traumatic. It is. And uh, mm. that's also what I speak about, how I ended up getting in, involved in what we'll talk about later. And, I, yes. and I'm glad you brought this up and I'm glad you shared that because I imagine uh, that there are always uh, listeners who 
have had something similar where I had a parent uh, that went away to uh, to jail prison um, mm-hmm. and and having to cope with that as a child I can imagine yeah. that that is traumatic well so mm-hmm. she was released after four months yeah she was released oh, after the, after goodness. four months and then for the listeners who who do um, resonate with that and they've experienced that just make sure to tell your children what's going on talk to them right Be like you know I was taken away but now I'm here and I didn't want to leave you and I love you and I miss you etc right. et and you didn't have that I did oh you did I did have okay. that but before I saw her again uh, I never knew why she left oh. so it had huge implications on both me and oh, because brother. you just thought she was abandoning exactly. you. Exactly. Oh, ouch. Exactly. Yeah, so I then see. That would growing be... up from then, I would yeah. always make sure that I was, you know, being on my best behavior. Right. I mean, for the most part. Right. And <laughs> excelling in school and et cetera, right. et cetera, to make sure that I wouldn't be left right. behind again. Right. And then because your dad was in the military, you were telling me that you did move a lot. So you lived in everywhere from Vermont to Hawaii. Right? Yeah, Hawaii, yeah. Vermont, Arizona, Nevada, oh my gosh. Um, all over the place. Yeah. Yes. I once read an article that said um, a great majority of people never leave the hometown they were born in. That is true. You know, mm-hmm. but it is, I have interviewed quite a few people that have had this military life where it is really hard to adjust to keep moving and making new friends and so, but it does make you resilient, doesn't it? It does make yeah. you very resilient. Yeah. So growing up, you know, we can make friends and then we leave and remake friends and we learn different cultures, which is great. My parents were very loving, super loving towards us, my brother and I. So growing up, they would always be like, it's okay, we're moving again. We, you know, mm-hmm. new school, new friends, new, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And they always had our back, which right. was really great. But you left uh, home at 18, yes, right? Yes, I did. And then ended up here in L.A. to be an actress yes, at 20. Yeah. Yes, And so yes. you're not one of those people that left home because it wasn't a happy place. No. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you just wanted to, you were independent and just wanted to do your own thing. Yeah, I was yeah. fiercely independent, yeah, yeah. actually. My mom raised me and like something that. tells me you still are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I kind of am. Yeah, with your mission, you'd have to be. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, um... At what point did you start traveling around the world? Because I know you've been to places like, uh, um, what was the first place you went? Ga- Ga- Guatemala. Guatemala. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, yeah, I went to Guatemala, Kenya, Kenya. Sierra Leone, yeah. uh, Hyderabad, India, back to Sierra Leone, um, and Ghana. And uh, yeah, those were just humanitarian. Yeah, I'm always impressed with uh, my friends and, and, and people who... Uh, go to these places like I I would be scared (laughs) I mean are are you ever feeling scared to go to places that are a little bit edgy so in Sierra Leone for example the drive from Freetown which is where the airport is to Bow which is where we work uh, is about four hours and if you drive at night it's very dangerous so I typically cover my head with like a scarf or something because I am a Caucasian woman with blonde hair. So I definitely want to make sure to cover. Um, But I feel that I'm on a mission and I've been given this mission to go help and speak. And because of that, if I end up having something horrific happen to me in the midst of doing that, then I know I'm doing it for good. And it's what it is. Now, in the midst of you doing this travel, and I Mm -hmm. want to talk more about you know, what you did in these places. Uh, But you were in a relationship that kind of really impacted your life because let's face it, you have a book out that's about that called, But I Love Him. 
So you were in an abusive relationship. Yes, I was. It's interesting why you would be in an abusive relationship when you came from a loving family. Because usually it, it seems like a lot of women get into that type of domestic violence when they come from that. Well, a lot of people think that, and a lot of people, lot of people also think that, think that it's yeah. uh, less affluent women that get themselves trapped, but it's not. It's actually, there's a lot of women in the upper chalant, per se, that get themselves trapped in abusive relationships, right. and they feel like they can't get out. Right. And a lot of it is their husbands or their abuser. This could happen either way. So it could be a man on a woman or a woman on a man, but in my situation, of course, it was a man on me. Um, he was very successful. Right. And in that type of relationship, you feel you have to stay because it looks like you have to stay. Does that make well, sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And then uh, also, too, uh, you're talking about the different, you know, uh, classes. Uh, but, yeah, I do think a lot of uh, wealthy uh, persons could think that they could be abusive, you know. Oh, yeah because they have all the power, yes. so to speak. You know? Yeah, and, yeah. and I think that it's more of a narcissistic behavior. So mm -hmm. my abuser, will call him Paul. He, a uh, very successful man, but he had some childhood issues growing up, and he took it out on women. Mm -hmm. And he ended up abusing me for physically for three years, physically, emotionally, sexually, financially for three years. And one year after that, he was emotionally abusive and financially abusive until I finally cut off ties with him. Mm -hmm. um, and he is a st still a successful entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really interesting to see that. And we see that in, I mean, we're not going to get into politics, but we see that in politics as well. Right. And and so on the surface, he seems totally fine. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah that's the scary part. Well, it's the Jacqueline Hyde part of yeah. an abuser. Yes. It's, uh, you know, in front of people, he charismatic is this and, super charismatic mm -hmm. and super uh, charming, et cetera, et cetera, very handsome. Mm -hmm. But behind closed doors, he turns into a monster sometimes. Right, right. And there's a lot of people out there like that. There are. And I'm glad we're having this conversation. Someone may listen that uh, is in that kind of relationship that you're describing. Yep. So uh, you were already helping out uh, when you were with him at uh, an orphanage in Guatemala, right? Yeah, so my first trip uh, I took right before Paul and I ended up separating. So it was roughly 2014, maybe the end of 2014. Oh, this is so recent. Yeah. And so when you went away, is that when you realized, oh, I, I feel free. And no, what, not, no. Not, so no? not in Guatemala. No, in okay. Guatemala, we were still together. We were talking every day. Mm -hmm. When I came back to uh, the United States from Guatemala, I ended up finding out that he was cheating on me. Okay, so um, adding insult to injury. Yeah. Exactly. And for some reason, I could deal with him physically, sexually, and emotionally, and financially abusing me, but him cheating on me, I, it blew my mind. That was my breaking point in my relationship. Don't you think, though, maybe somebody's looking for an excuse, like, oh, now I have a legitimate excuse to leave you, like, in your mind? Well, there's yeah. a cycle in domestic violence, and mm -hmm. it goes from walking on eggshells to a big blow-up to the apology stage. And most victims stay because of that apology stage, when your abuser says, I love you, I miss you, I promise I won't ever do that again. Right. And it typically takes some type of external force, a breaking point, to get you out of that. So it's not necessarily an excuse, mm -hmm. but you need some breaking point in order for you to finally be like, 
oh wow, what's happening to me is not right because right. I didn't even realize right. how bad it was until I left right. that, at all. Until you got out of it. Until I got out. Right. And then you left and you did work. Is that when you did work in Kenya? or? So uh, we kind of split up and I went to Kenya, mm -hmm. came back and we decided to end our relationship. And mm -hmm. I was very fortunate because he actually kind of let me go, although he was still financially and emotionally controlling me. Mm -hmm. uh, but he let me go. And then I started writing and writing therapy. And that's mm -hmm. what healed me. And I wrote yeah. a one woman show called But I Love Him, same title as my book. Right. And that debuted in 2016 at the Whitefire Solo Fest and then again at the Hollywood Fringe Festival. Right. And then I I started Unsilenced Voices July 2017 and then right. published my memoir, But I Love Him, uh, this past year, February 2019. Wow. So this yeah. is like fresh off the press. It is, yes. Yeah. And But I Love Him is your true story mm -hmm. of being in this relationship and then how you left it? Yes, it is. Okay. So it, it explains into detail. So if anybody out there is purchasing But I Love Him and if you've experienced any type of trauma, make sure to take a deep breath before reading it because it will bring up some PTSD because it goes into the fights, what he said to me, um, him beating me up. The, the oh, So it's kind of hard to read. It is kind of hard to read, but it's real and raw. It, right. And in the end, I'm here. I'm sitting here. I'm alive. Right. And I've now done great things because of my experience. So it's right. empowering women and men, but right. empowering people who've experienced this type of abuse right. that they can overcome and yes. live a healthy, successful life. Right. And I know you've also uh, worked with uh, women on Skid Row mm -hmm. in L.A., and it all brought you to this place that where you've launched this uh, nonprofit called yeah. Unsilenced Voices. Yeah. Um, along with the book and the play. So everything you're doing is about how can I help and empower women to move out of these relationships and become something uh, that they're meant to be doing. And everybody has gifts and everybody's meant to be doing something wonderful in the world to make yes. a difference, Yes, right? they are, you know, and yeah. your experiences, your intellectual property, what you've been through in your life, really can help other people mm -hmm. transform into something amazing, somebody who really has that strength and power that they've always wanted to have. Right, right. And your experiences can lead you down a path that you never even knew you were going to take. I mean, right, like you I never knew not, you'd write a book, no. you never knew you'd be speaking, no. you never knew you'd be conducting workshops around exactly. the world. Yes. You know, and I was asking you about the work you're doing around the world. So you actually are putting on these educational workshops in places like like Sierra Leone and Ghana right now we're specifically focused on Sierra Leone mm -hmm. because that's where we're getting the most traction right and uh, we have monthly two times a month educational seminars that we call sensitization meetings now do you do that in person or online so or? I uh, we have our managers who conduct it but oh. I actually was there physically doing the first couple wow. so then they have taken the role of, you know, taking that on now. Right, carrying it on. Exactly. And you said 80 or sometimes over 100 people show up, mm -hmm. men and women. Yes. So the very first one that we conducted, they asked me, the women asked me, they said, we want men too. And I said, okay, whatever they want, right? Okay. So we did one with men and women. And domestic violence is a family issue over there. It's a taboo subject to talk about. So when women and men started talking, in this group together, we started seeing change. We started, uh, the women started realizing that, oh, this is wrong. 
Yeah. And I have more rights than this, and it's actually illegal for him to hurt me like that. Right. And well, then the men start to realize, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. Oh, wow. That is mm -hmm. amazing what you're doing over yeah, there. Yeah, it's great. It's yeah, great. it must be so rewarding to have them come to those epiphanies and hopefully be in implementing it into their culture. Yes, yeah. hopefully being implemented into the culture. Yeah, it needs surely. a lot of work. Like in Ghana, we need, we've need we partnered with the ARC Foundation mm -hmm. and we need to raise roughly eighty dollars to $90,000 a year to kind of help that organization, which is a Ghanaian-led organization, mm -hmm. have a temporary shelter so, so, so victims can run to. Right. Same thing in Sierra Leone. We've partnered with an organization called Commit and Act Foundation mm -hmm. and we're going to be working to have a temporary shelter, but we need funds. Right. We need help. Right. We desperately need help. And you're also doing things here in the U.S. Yes, you're we are. starting that. Yes. And wh where are those programs, and will you have some housing for the women here, or what's your plan here in the U.S.? So uh, we just partnered with an organization called Beyond Freedom International, led by a survivor of sex trafficking. Oh, so no, wow. not only are we getting into domestic violence and sexual abuse, but sex trafficking. So what we want to do is be able to provide pro bono legal assistance to survivors. So we'll start with doing either a monthly or quarterly meeting, an educational summit like we're doing in Africa, mm -hmm. but with um, doctors and attorneys, housing specialists, uh, child care specialists, and have them all speak and be there so survivors and victims can talk to them and get the help that they need and be uh, referenced on where to go and what to do. Eventually, years from now, I would love to have a temporary shelter here in the United States, here mm -hmm. in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. uh, where victims can go to, similar to the Downtown Women's Center where I volunteered for six months on right. Skid Row, right. but more of a, um, a housing place instead of just a place that they feed and give resources. Right, right. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And you go into the high schools now uh, yes. and speak about um, how to recognize, like, if you're being, um, tr that, like, how they try to draft them for sex trafficking oh, and yeah. stuff. Like, that's really important. So you're educating them on what signs to look for. Exactly. Right? There's red flags all over the place. Right. And when I spoke, I spoke at Mwanlua High School to a couple of classes just recently. And this 17-year-old girl, after I got done speaking, came up to me and just looked at me and started bawling. <gasps> and at 17, she was involved in a domestic violence relationship. And now that I'm also going into colleges, I'm doing a college speaking tour this fall, we're educating about getting into not only domestic violence and sexual abuse, but sex trafficking. And typically these traffickers prey on foster care children. And unfortunately in Los Angeles there are over 60,000 foster care kids. And it's because they don't have families? It's, it's because that they're not receiving that immediate attention and love that they so desire. So these traffickers so they're work- predators. Exactly, they work very much like a, uh, an abuser in a domestic violence situation where they say, I love you, you're beautiful, let me buy you this and take you here. And then all of a sudden they get them trapped. Wow. Yeah. So you're teaching these girls what to look for. Exactly. So how do they delineate if somebody is actually nice and interested in them 
or if they're trying to woo them into this lifestyle? Well, we live in a day and age where technology is very accessible, mm -hmm. where you can actually Google somebody and go on their social media and look them up and find out who they are, what their friends say about them. Ask your friends. Ask your friends who who this guy is or who this girl is. And, and if nobody knows them. Exactly. Just be cautious. Sign, and, right. you know, when he or she, he takes you out to dinner, uh, watch how he treats the waiter or waitress. Uh, watch yeah. how he speaks to you. Watch how yeah, he I've acts around other people. I've always loved that saying, uh, however you treat the, the waitress is who you are. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know, and uh, red flags of being over-controlling, trying mm -hmm. to move the relationship too quickly, uh, wanting to move in too early, m wanting to make you quit your job, wanting to buy you a new car four months into the relationship. Right. It it's controlling tactics. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then also, um, wh what, what do you want to do with your nonprofit as far as, like, how could people help you to build it? Is, what's your... Tell us your website and how yeah, they can great. find out about it. Yeah, great. Yeah. So the website is unsilencedvoices.org. Okay. And then we're also all over social media. We have an event coming up on October 23rd at LN2, which is a new restaurant on Melrose in Hollywood. Oh, and uh, we're LN2 gonna, on Yeah, Melrose. LN2. Oh, it's I a great restaurant. It's yeah. really good. It's uh, Melrose in Fairfax area. Oh, okay, um, great. So we're going to be partnering with them and conducting, uh, you know, this party mm -hmm. and we want people to get involved we want uh, influencers to really stand behind the organization and what right. we're doing there are so many people hundreds of thousands of people all over the world who experience this type of trauma right and and we need to put a stop to it but the only way we can move forward is if we get help right so we definitely need help right well unsilenced voices um what made you decide to start the nonprofit? Like, because that's a big undertaking. It is. Yeah. It is. Like, so, for those at home thinking, yeah. oh, I'd like to do a nonprofit, I can tell you right now, from what I've experienced with other people, is that it takes a lot of work uh -huh. and a lot of wherewithal to start a nonprofit. Yes, it does. And yeah. fortunately, right now, I am not in a relationship, nor do I have children. So I have a lot more time. Mm -hmm. And I was volunteering on Skid Row at the Downtown Women's Center and then decided that I wanted to work for a nonprofit. So I flew up to Oakland mm -hmm. and was interviewing with Art and Abolition, which is an amazing organization that helps children who sell themselves on the streets of Kenya. Mm. I felt um, the spiritual presence in the organization, but I didn't. I didn't feel like I was supposed to be there. So right. I literally walk around the streets of San Francisco the next day going, okay, what do I do now? Yeah. And I was sent a sign. And this yeah. gentleman came up and we started chatting and talking. And I was having my glass of Chardonnay and eating clam chowder on the pier and yeah. told him my story. And he said, you should start a nonprofit. And I said, you know, that's not the first time I heard it. So this right. is the time I should listen. Right. And I did. Right. We were 501c3 within a month. And then I went to Ghana two months later. You know, it's so interesting. A lot of people say it takes a long time to get a, a 5013C, and you're the second person that got it within a month, which makes me think, you know, definitely you're meant to be doing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, it made me think that and feel that as well, yeah. that I definitely should be doing this. I mean, it is difficult to get all the paperwork done, it but is. I filled and it all out myself. you to do this big international thing. <laughs> yeah. So will you be doing fundraisers and that type of thing? Yeah, so yeah. October 23rd is a fundraiser. Right, at the and restaurant. Then right now we're Melrose. looking for celebrity influence. We have... Mm -hmm. 
a, a big bite from somebody, and I don't know if I'm allowed to name drop, so I'm not going to right, right now. Right. Uh, but this woman, she loves the fact that we're helping other women through mm -hmm. domestic violence and trauma. Right. And uh, she is a well-known individual here in Los Angeles, and yeah. she thinks that she's going to come on board, and we need as many influencers as pe and people as possible. Yeah, so. I love when a celebrity takes their influence and exactly. puts it behind something mm -hmm. really important. and. A lot of them do, not all, but yeah. many and do. And a lot of them do. Yeah. And the ones that do, it, it's it's very generous with their time. Um, yeah. And it's really amazing. Yeah, honestly, nobody gets more satisfaction, though, than the person that is giving. Yeah, that's you true. You know? I mm -hmm. mean, if it's something that's near and dear to their heart, you know, for them to get behind it and, and use their gravitas for the greater good, yes. there's no better feeling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there I is mean, no, no better, better feeling. No better payment. And, you know, yeah. one thing that I always tell people is you need to take a stand for something. Yes. I don't care what it is. It could be right. plastic or animals or, or the ozone layer. I mean, right. whatever you take a stand for, right. take a stand for something. There right. are so many people in this world that don't take a stand for anything. Right. Right. And it drives me crazy. And you know, it's so interesting because you're such an independent woman, like you said, from the get-go. Yes. And uh, that you would end up in a relationship. You know, you don't think an independent thing thinker yeah. could end up in such a relationship. So, so many people have told me that. It's good that we're talking about this yes. because strong, beautiful, independent women do end up in these. They do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I take it, I mean, with everything you're doing and everything you've been through and the play and the book and the organization, obviously you would never find yourself in that situation again. Uh, no, so, no. Uh, you know, but uh, what kind of person would you like to be with? <laughs> All right. So if you're out there, no. <laughs> um, you know, I want somebody who respects what I do, yes. appreciates uh, what I do and why I do it. They don't always have to be supportive of me going to Africa because it is scary for a spouse leaving you. Yeah. But they have to be supportive. Right. Um, they have to have something going for themselves as well. You know, yeah. they, they really um, they need to have something that, that they, they care about, care about. Yeah, exactly that's important to me mm -hmm. too and um you know when you go over there uh to these various countries i know you said you you want to go to the middle east right? i do i would love yeah. to go to the middle east and i said mm -hmm. to you you know aren't you afraid and and your answer was amazing to me yeah my answer is this is my mission and if i end up dying doing my mission then i'm meant to die as long as I'm making a difference. I mean, you believe that strongly about it. You're I do. like, I will do this dying if that's what it takes. If that's Hopefully what it that's takes. not what it Hopefully takes, not. but I'm just saying Hopefully that not. that is dedication. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm never gonna stop. I mean, right yeah. now I'm putting so much money into this organization, it's unbelievable. Most of my money is going into the yeah. organization. Because and I eventually, I, believe in it. I never actually want to take a salary from it. Right. You know, I want, I want all of the money to go to our survivors and victims and right. giving them the resources they need. But you know, I've, he I've heard this, uh, and we'll wrap up with this, is that all of these uh, women that run socially conscious, whether uh, uh, they're for-profit or non-profits, need to understand that it's okay for the organization to flourish because that's what keeps it going. Mm -hmm. So money's not a bad thing. No. And yeah. you should be paid for all the efforts that you put into building this because uh, it helps you to keep it going. Yes. And so it, it, yeah. it's a beautiful thing for people to financially get behind it and help it to grow 
so that you can do all this great work that changes the lives of so many women. So I wish you all the luck with growing this. Thank you. And building it up over yeah. the years. And that's why I do the speaking. And that's, yes. that's really where you know my focus yeah. is, to be able to get paid through my speaking and through other uh, entrepreneurial activities related to it. But so I'm that silenced. you can continue yes, exactly. to do this I will definitely work. take care of myself. Yes. And my mentors tell me, you have to take care of yourself Absolutely. before you can take care of the world. Yeah. Yes. And that's a beautiful thing. Yes. Well, thank you for being here. Yeah. And thank you for tuning in. Look up Michelle online, uh, your uh, website. Yeah. And um, so my website is michellejewsbury.com. And if you want a complimentary copy of the introduction of my book called But mm -hmm. I Love Him, text OBSTACLES to 26786. And what's the number again? Uh, 26786, and you text OBSTACLES to that number. Obstacles. We all have those. Yes, we do. <laughs> Thank you so much, Michelle. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks Thank so much you. for tuning in. Make Thank it a great week. Hugs and happiness.